you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL podcast is 20% New England Blue Blood. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I'm coming to you from a country filled with heroes in bunkers. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, Ricky Hollywood. What is up, boys and girls? Hey, 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 hey. Remember that old one? (laughs) You know, the coronavirus has taken so much from us. It's annoying. It's insidious. And it, it got us again. Yesterday, we did the media talent NFL Media Talent Summit on Tuesday, but because no one can now get together at a posh hotel on the west side of Los Angeles, right on the on the ocean, it's a it was a virtual summit. And think of all the things that we lost because of that. All the fun, uh, Michael Irvin getting to just watch him sitting there and see how long it takes before he taps out. <laughs> didn't see, see him on that Zoom, by the way. Didn't didn't see did not. Him. didn't see no. the very highest of the high uh, on that Zoom. Didn't see the highest, but that used to be one of the hooks of uh, that was one of the great hooks of the talent summit, quote unquote, is that even the highest of the high had to attend. So you saw them squirming in the chair like the rest of us. And the biggest tragedy, Mark Sessler, is we didn't have Steve Smith and all the other guys screaming at Al Riveron about the new rules. We lost Mm. all of that. And uh, the coronavirus strikes again. Well, there is a part two to the summit, which I guess might include some of that. But I I don't think that it was um, without its charms because there was a there was a moment uh, during it. There was a you know, there were there was a very intense um, conversation going on. And if you've been on one of these Zooms with 60 people uh, where you can see them and, you know, I'm shuffling through from page one to three. And um, couched on page two during this, I, I don't want to say what the subject matter was, but it was um, you know, important. Very, it, w- it would be a time for you to, to look plugged in and to be paying attention to the company messaging. And um, I catch Dan, and Dan is uh, in, this, in, in, the, in the setting that he is right now up in um, his father-in-law's, uh, I, I guess you'd call that an, an attic area, a, a redone no, attic. we established that this is Bill O'Brien's attic. Oh, Bill O'Brien's. <laughs> he's up in Bill O'Brien's attic. But um, – completely not engaged in the conversation. Dan, in fact, is on um, a phone call and swiveling yeah. around the room in his chair and laughing and getting up and walking around the room. And I, I texted Dan. I said, Dan, I don't know what, I don't know what you're oh, doing. I had um, those texts. <laughs> Let me read those texts. Cause I had forgotten that I was on camera Well, because was, you know, the, the zoom stuff is a little bit annoying. It lasted a while. Cause once Mark made a joke about it, you know, I didn't see the text for five, 10 minutes, but then I, I did. And, and there you were, you were still going wild. It um, went on forever. Uh, <laughs> it went on, it went on way longer than it should have. Uh, it says, Mark wrote to me, I'd go off video, bro. Intense <laughs> combo. You're front and center on another phone call. Go dark with a unicorn, bro. It is, <laughs> it is what but, I, only after I saw bro that I even noticed your text, and but, I very promptly went off video. Well, you saw it, but I sent those at least 12 minutes before you read them, and I was dying there because I was like, we have the highest to the high of our company. If any of them were to see Dan, well, everyone else is just very magnetized and, and giving great opinions and discussing. You got Dan flipping around. I don't know who you were talking to, Dan. I don't I'll know what. Who I was talking to, and it would have to be someone very important for me to to jump off uh, temporarily. My focus. It was the Gatesville Messenger. It was the long-awaited <laughs> uh, one-on-one interview with oh, Heather God. Ashley, their features columnist, and I had to take the call. And you know, extra, extra, read all about it. Me and that playboy in trouble again. Extra, 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 extra. Right. Read all about it. If the bosses do, you know, hit me up with a phone call or an email and they want to discuss why I wasn't plugged in that moment. I was promoting the brand across the country. Well, you've got intense cover. No doubt. No, you you do. That was bad though. When I saw the text, it was a, (laughs) a holy shit moment. 
Yeah. I was like, oh god. <laughs> you know when Mark, when Mark only breaks out the bro if things are really serious. I was legit. Like, it's yeah. one of those times where you're concerned for your friend because it was like it looked so <laughs> incongruous to every other person in our company. I, I was like, is Dan just going for it here? I don't know. I what- saw and I laughed. I was not concerned. <laughs> I thought uh, if anyone happened to be scrolling through and saw it, they would they would find the humor in it. I believe. Well, the other problem, and Mark alluded to it, it the conversation was a sensitive topic, uh, and I guess you could take my behavior on my video screen and, and see it as something that was disrespectful. I mean, no disrespect. That's all. Well, we know that. Not now. great, though. You just got to turn Not the great. video off like like 70 percent of the meeting was smart enough to m- most of the time. I know. <laughs> I, I, th- I thought it was like a. I know, Mark, you were on video most of the time, too. I I just I thought was it too. was the right thing to do. Yeah, Greg, I saw you on there, too. Erica had a cardboard cutout of herself for a portion of it. <laughs> that was an incredible <laughs> I move by Erica. <laughs> I, t- I told the Erica, the, I told Erica, the only thing that would have made it better is if you had it as like a gift that blinked occasionally. And you really had people. <laughs> Well, our, we were gonna. We our plan was to <clears throat> all at some point put up. It was a headshot of Erica. All put up headshots of Erica, and that would have caused um, total chaos. It would have been great. It was. I was listening. <laughs> I just, um, you know, didn't want to be watched. It, it was a long eight-hour day, and my headshot is smiling and very attentive. And I have my headphones in. I just, you know. All right. Well done, Erica. Good job, Erica. Today's show. Shut up. You were the one on the phone swinging around, like swinging your <laughs> head around, like head banging, like swinging his what around? <laughs> I don't know. Ah, I told you that was not my finest moment, but I, you know, a lot of America playing shuffleboard doing- with yourself. You're running from one end of the table to the other. <laughs> a lot of America is doing these Zoom meetings every day for work for hours and hours, and they have it down at this point. There were multiple times where I forgot I was on camera. I'm just glad it didn't go worse, to be quite honest with you. Ah, all right. Spun the wheel of teams on Monday, landed on my New York Jets. So we're going to have Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News uh, joining us in conversation. And I, and I love that as soon as I say that, Jets fans are either excited to hear it or are angry because that is the reaction that Meta gets uh, in Jets Nation. He's a polarizing figure, and that's why we thought it would be fun to have Manishan for that reason. We're going to talk to him about uh, that as well as what's going on with the Jets in 2020. Uh, But before we do that, let's hit the news. What's up, everyone? Autumn here. We're doing another Q&A today, and I'm taking the questions from comments from my different YouTube videos. So let's jump right into this. What weights do you use in extreme? That one is from Mark Sessler. This what? one is from that is not Crafty <laughs> Mommy. Mark Sessler, thoughts on juicing in the morning? This one is from, I don't, I hope I pronounce this name right, A hero. What type of shoes do you wear? From Mark Sessler. Bye. Wow, you, you, someone put a fair amount of work into that because that is completely fictitious. So. That was Autumn. I found it right on YouTube. It was kind of weird, actually. I, Speaking of people that were caught, um, you know, not aware that they were going to be seen. Mark, you told us today that you were uh, doing your beach body workout in your backyard in a pair of boxer shorts and the lawnmower man came out back. I caramba. Uh, it was the worst because, uh, you know, the kids are home 24 seven. They're, they're never not home. So they were in the living room where I would normally do it. And I can either like cause total chaos by trying to get them out of there. So I said, I'm just going to do this in the backyard. But, but um, why boxers? Like why, why not a pair of athletic shorts, gym shorts? I honestly, because out, outside. I, I don't have, um, I was looking around for the kind of shorts that you could exercise in and could not find any. So I was like, no one can see my yard. So I just went out into, and they were not boxers. I would, I would say they were closer to like briefs. Um, and I was not, I was not facing like the entrance to our yard. My summer just got hotter. Yes, it did. And like, uh, anyway, so I'm doing this like sort of boxing class and, you know, kicking the legs around and doing punches. And then I turn around and then, I see um, our very nice uh, lawnmower uh, man is like, you know, seven feet into the yard, sort of just trying not to look at me, but extremely awkward. I, I you know, just you walked into him, the house. You can call him the landscaper, too. He's the landscaper. Lawnmower man. I don't know. 
I think landscaping. Like a, I mean, a bad horror movie in 1991. That's a rental property. I don't think there's a whole lot of landscaping going on in our here, but he is mowing the lawn. But I'm not going to be doing that again. No more yard workouts. In your brain. I mean, just put on shorts. Just put on. Uh, well, that's a pair. That's shorts. a that's a fair solution. I I probably should have thought of that out of the gate. Briefs keep All it right. like bunched in the front, right? So you're not swinging around like Dan on a phone call. So to speak. Okay. <laughs> just, just yeah, just adding it all up. It's any yeah. other questions about that area? Eric? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll let you know if I come up with any of those. Okay. All right, good. No preseason games in 2020. The NFL Players Association on Tuesday told its players there will be zero preseason action uh, this summer. Mike Garofalo and Tom Pelissero. And Rapsheet all reported this. Union leadership shared this info with its players during a conference call one day after the league had proposed a one-game preseason slate to the union. They followed that up later on Monday with an adjusted offer that included zero preseason games. Uh, this had been uh, a note of contention, and now that is wiped away. So uh, that is one of the few things that we've seen in the way of uh, progress since Monday, Greg. Yeah, and I think it's significant because it really shows a the the league is you know trying to listen to some of what the players are saying. I think the social media blitz that the the star players did on Sunday was was effective in that way and in, in bringing the the message to the public. And I, I think it's really striking, like how quickly this has been changing. I mean, <laughs> even though it feels like it's, it's been slow, like they, they announced that, Hey, we're actually reducing the preseason and the NFL hasn't officially even announced this yet. They've just told the NFL, but we're reducing it to two and here's the ticket plan. And we're going to do one in each thing. That was just a couple weeks ago. And, it, and it's like, Hey, we're still starting training camp on time. That was just a couple weeks ago. And now here we are. Okay. The preseason's gone. That training camp you can say it's starting on time, but it's not really starting on time. They're just testing for a handful of days, and then guys are working out for a week or two. That's not really training camp. The, what people think of as training camp in terms of players hitting other players might not be till about mid to late August in, in a best-case scenario. So I, I actually think this has been moving fairly quickly, and uh, I think it's significant that the owners, you know, whatever hard line that they were hoping – to have a, a just a couple weeks ago is moving pretty fast and it's moving in the direction, hopefully of health and safety, which, which has definitely been a priority for the players. I think Greg, you said yeah. something notable in the last show where you mentioned that <clears throat> the season overall might separate some coaches and make some stars out of certain coaches. I mean, this is going to, you're, you're going to need to be on the ball as a coaching staff to get the best out of your players. There's a lot of little wrinkles and folds here. I thought of even like, it, it's not just veterans. I mean, think of like uh when Ocho Cinco joined the Patriots and couldn't handle their playbook, you're going to find right. out right away in August that a third of your team didn't study the playbook the way that you thought. And you're going to have rookie running backs that you're going to find out in week one, whether they can block a um, pass rusher coming in off the edge. Totally different. Tackles. It's a totally different season in sport. Right. It just is. It's right. going to be different. The NFL and the NFLPA made another move. Uh, that's going to have a big impact on uh, the summer. They agreed to reduce the size of training camp rosters from 90 players to 80. Rap Sheet reported this, and this is very bad news for undrafted free agents, guys that are just um, make, looking to make a mark. It takes so many uh, jobs during the training camp process out of play. So that's just another unfortunate byproduct, like we're saying, of this season's going to be different and it's going to be a smaller group because they're trying to control this however they can. And just uh, one other note uh, connected to COVID-19, the NFLPA uh, reports that 59 players uh, from the union have been tested as known positive for COVID-19. That is approximately 2% of the union's membership. I don't really know how to make heads or tails, whether that's a lot or a little, but that's the number. Well, I think to make it clear, you know, players have not been tested, you know, in mass yet. So this is 59 players who had been tested you know, on their own volition throughout the off season since, since and, about and, March. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And no, they were positive. Andrew Whitworth is, is one of them, the Rams tackle and had a pretty, you know, interesting story or, you know, sad stories. His entire family had his, his father-in-law was, was really banged up, but he spoke about um, the lethargy and the impact that it had on him 
um, you know, a guy who's over 300 pounds, that it wasn't just a, a couple day situation. And uh, we'll see when players report and then there's they're doing these mass testing. There was, a, I think, another 36 NFL personnel, whether it's coaches or, or guys inside a building who also tested positive. So to me, that's a, that's a relatively small number, I guess. And we're going to see what these numbers are like when, when all the players start showing up. Yeah, I get a little more worried about, obviously, the staff, because you got a lot of coaches that are, you know, not not in great health or of the right age to uh, be in the right target to have Corona be let, you know, it's it's it could impact them a ton. I, th- I don't know if you guys saw this tweet from Eric Ebron, which I found um, mysterious. He said that, uh, you know, he basically said, I'm mentally preparing myself not to see my family for six months. This is going to be the hardest season ever if we have a whole season. And I, hmm. There was a little bit of speculation that there might be something bubbling up where the idea of well, of a bubble is um, like for certain teams might be in play. Um, I don't know what the tweet meant. I don't know if it meant simply that he's making a decision to not um, engage with family members if he goes through with the season himself. But um, I, it gave me pause. Uh, the NFLPA on Wednesday revealed that eight teams have had their COVID-19 pandemic protocols approved uh, infectious disease emergency response IDER plan submitted by the Ravens, Bills, Panthers, Broncos, Lions, Texans, Chiefs and Dolphins all approved by the union. Uh, there are 24 more teams, of course, uh, that have submitted plans. They are still under review as of uh, midday Wednesday as we're taping right now. So that is another hurdle to get everybody into camp and get this thing rolling. But I have to say over the last 48 hours since we last did the podcast overall, you, you kind of feel good about the direction where things are heading. It went from last week, this idea that all right, what's going on, the scramble, the players acting, um, getting together and putting out that tweet and uh, make, making it known that they feel a little bit of confusion. It does feel like we're seeing some progress now uh, towards the goal of the end of July. Yeah, Dr. Sills, you know, the, the NFL's really, you know, leader on this issue spoke to us, you know, we, you know, as part of this summit yesterday, I, I feel the same way, Dan, that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling more confident that, okay, the procedures are in place to get this on ramping starting. I, I do think that the uncertainties of what's actually going to happen once all of this is going, you know, still right. weighs on me. But I, I do think the fact, you know, the steps that they're taking and, and more importantly that the players and the union, I think are, I mean, the players in the league are agreeing on many issues and, and the financials are still part of it, but it, it seems like that part of it's not going to hold it up. I just, I just don't know. Cause nobody does what it's all going to live, you know, look like, because as you mentioned with the Eric Ebron thing, okay. Well, that, like, of course, like, I don't know if he was talking about maybe I don't know if he has kids and a wife or he was talking about like his parents and, and different members of the family, because that's going to be best practice for everyone. That's that's us, too. I haven't seen my my family. I, I'm not you know, I haven't gotten you know, we haven't gotten on a plane and stuff like that. And that that's the case for a lot of people. And they're going to be trying to encourage all of these players to keep their circle about as tight as possible. But but it's one thing doing that in a in a Disneyland bubble where you're literally not allowed to leave like the NBA. And it's another thing when it's 53 active players, all with ton, totally different lives and motivations and things and, and trying to keep that under control. And that, right. and that, that part of it is just, we're just going to have to find out. You know, we, we, we know, you know, there are, various assistant coaches out there that live vibrant uh, night lives and um, <laughs> social lives of their own. So it's not just the players. And I mean, it's the kind of thing you could follow right. orders perfectly up through, you know, uh, late October, but then like many people are feeling in general, like, what do you do when you're just like, I've had enough of this and I, I have to go see people and do things. I mean, it's going to require um, to your point, Greg, that it's just such a different season, like a mental strength that you're not really asking anyone in the past to, to, to duplicate. It's completely new. But, but I do think that I agree with you, Dan, that there is an ounce of hope this week that I didn't feel a couple weeks ago that, that they, that there, I can, I can see the season starting on time. Um, I think that's been the goal and I don't know what would get in the way of that other than a gigantic, you know, beehive exploding, a Corona. I I think, I think it's, it's players, you know, getting, coronavirus in large quantities in these places right. where a lot of people are and and I you know I think that that's what could do it and and there really aren't answers yet about what what NFL teams are going to do what's the number of 
players that would have to have it where they just shut the whole thing down, you know, or, you know, in terms of a certain players on a position group where they shut it down. And those answers are moving targets. Even, even the league would admit that, that there's not, it's not that clear right now. And there was a coach also that said, what happens if like five defensive coaches get it? <laughs> how do you, cause it, you know, you're all doing a ton of work and how on game day, how would you coordinate that? So there, it is, um, it is, it is nothing but uh, drenched, drenched Start. in suspense. Start with wearing a mask, whether you're testing positive or negative, and uh, you imagine or you hope that's what's going to be happening inside these buildings when the coaches are working together. The NFL confirmed that masks uh, will be mandatory if fans are allowed in the stadium. Brian McCarthy, the VP of communications for the league, um, used uh, Twitter to make that official. Of course, the Jets and Giants announced on Monday there will be no fans at their home games at MetLife Stadium until further notice. Mark Davis of the Raiders, owner of the Raiders, said he's leaning towards not having fans attend games in the new stadium in Vegas. The Rams announced Tuesday that there will be limited or no capacity at SoFi Stadium. The Eagles um, the Philadelphia Philadelphia city officials said last week that no fans would be allowed in the stands during Eagle games in 2020. Uh, but the next day, the mayor's office uh, kept the door open that that could happen. But so as you could see, it's a team by team, a state by state situation with fans being allowed. They have to wear masks and everyone should be wearing a mask. Coaches, fans, players. Come on now. But it's frustrating, too, because and I, and I understand they're trying to announce things now because they, they sort of have to. But like the Falcons today, for instance, announced they're going to allow, I think, 20,000 people. And, and, I, and I know that could that could change. But Georgia is a mess. Georgia is a, is a mess right now. And it just it, it seems a little crazy if, if we're not in a different situation in September. And obviously, everyone hopes that we are that. OK, public schools are closed. Like we're not safe enough to do public schools, which which makes sense. But we're we're cool with twenty thousand people being indoors to watch a football game. <laughs> yeah, it's it like, doesn't what? it doesn't line up. <laughs> it doesn't. It just doesn't. It doesn't line up. So so either so one of those two has to change. Like either maybe the the virus is in a better shape and and schools start opening up, or or the Falcons and teams like that are going to have to change. So you're really telling me we're, we, that we think we're in a we're in a great enough place that have twenty thousand people inside a, in inside a building. I you know no concerts I, I don't going wanna, on. <laughs> I don't want to turn this into the politics yeah, podcast, yeah, but it's not it politics. Really, so it's science, though. It's like when did science uh, but, become well, politics? My, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I, that's well, I'm in agreement with you on that. My point being that. This whole situation has, for a long time, to me anyway, cried out for leadership on the federal level. And the fact that that has not been the case and it's been left in the hands state by state basis. And some states are handling it well and some states are not handling it well. And that's why it's another kind of it's another obstacle and hurdle for professional sports teams because the leagues are trying to do their best to make this as safe as possible. But it's not the same playing field across the landscape of the league. It's been left to private businesses. You've seen Walmart and so many grocery stores being ahead of the government in in those southern states. And they're making the decisions that you have to wear masks, whereas the governments are not like. And and that's ultimately, I guess, what the NFL is kind of coming down to is that it's up to the private businesses. I mean, if you really want to strive for accuracy, you know, Madden 21 is is rolling out. I <laughs> I don't think that you put you know, you got you got the close ups on the head coach. And you got Adam Gase strolling around on the sideline. I mean, he should be in a mask on Madden 21 just to to really paint the picture of mm. what to really get the simulation correct. Am I wrong? <laughs> Eric and I have done some Madden um, broadcasts on Twitch. Oh, I think yeah. that we have some some sway here. Potentially. Yeah, we know. I do like well. the idea. I like the idea of those Adam Gase eyes darting all over the place. <laughs> you know, the rest of the rest of his face covered up. Um, you know, we haven't you know done in a while, wild Dan. I, oh, if you have another point, I was going to say we have no, some no, break. Good. We have some breaking news. Yeah, let's do it. Ooh. All right, breaking news out of Minnesota: the uh, the Minnesota Vikings have reached an agreement on a multi year contract extension with coach Mike Zimmer, according to Tom Pelissera, who, by the way, is kind of having a breakout offseason himself. Tom Pelissera been breaking a lot of news. He's tight with Zimmer. He breaks this story and. Uh, one of the one of the longest uh, 
<laughs> One of the longest tenured coaches now in the league is Mike Zimmer, even going into this season, which is crazy to think about. But uh, he's going to be there a little while longer. He's a good coach. He's a good coach, Mike Zimmer. They did a nice job there. And they've had some stinkers along the way in Minnesota since Denny Green, who was fine. But Zimmer's the real deal. Well, it's an interesting asked- time for it, too. It's like a lot of transition there on his defense to um, – you know, kind of give him uh, some faith. And I think it's rewarded, too. I agree. He's a good coach. He's 63 years old. He's been there six seasons, compiled a winning percentage of 599. If you can coach 600 ball, 96, uh, 96 games, 57, 38, and 1, they have not yet, unless I am – have they made it to the NFC title game yet? I yeah. Against the block? Eagles when okay. they got blasted. When they lose in the playoffs, they tend to lose hard. They lose, yeah. <laughs> but they also had a great win on the road. Sure. Before the Niners wiped them out in January, that was an awesome win for yeah. the organization to go to and take out the Saints, which are, you know, we were talking about before that game that the Saints might have been the best three seed of all time. And the, the Vikings uh, kind of brought that conversation to a grinding halt. So 63 years old, Mike Zimmer. Keeps the gig. He was the D.C. uh, in Dallas for many years in the aughts. I went to Cincinnati uh, and uh, for another five or six years. So this guy did 14 years as a D.C. from 2000 to 2013 and now has made the most of his uh, opportunity in Minnesota. The the only time that I ever in my life spoke to Bill Parcells in person, um, well, was uh, was over a phone call on a George Zimmer feature. And he was in a parking lot. He was very annoyed that I called. It was through Mike um, Zimmer, right? Mike, yeah, right, right. Mike Zimmer. But uh, Parcells very um, peaked that I had called him up on the phone at this point in his shopping um, outing. And he's like, "All right, kid, you got one. You got five seconds." I'm like, "All right, I'm 43, so I'm not um, necessarily a child, but I feel like one right now." And I, I asked a Zimmer question, and he fired off um, a very complimentary answer. I mean, he's a Bill Parcells protege, and I. I I love the I love that the Vikings are doing this. I've always been a, a Zimmer fan. A lot of history here with uh, Zimmer and Kubiak's his coordinator. I mean, this this is Kubiak taking over the offense totally after last year sharing it with Stefanski. It's a, it's an interesting crew with uh, a lot of success and a lot of in, impressive lineage. You know, it's kind of like the old guy. You know, it's like the old guys. We're gonna take over this young league. Zimmer, Kubiak, Kubiak. <laughs> <laughs> that brings back memories, Mark. When I was a literal kid in the in the journalism industry, they sent me to cover a Mets Rockies matinee at Old Shea Stadium, and Clint Hurdle was the manager of the Rockies. And Clint Hurdle was a guy, uh, a real man's man type, former player, um, and had a lifer in the game. And it was September of a season where both teams were playing out the string. The Mets almost had a no hitter that game. That game, they t- uh, the pitcher I can't remember who it was, Steve Traxel maybe, took a perfect game into the eighth inning, and uh, the Rockies basically didn't show up. After the game, I go down to the locker room, the clubhouse, and Preston Wilson, who was a former uh, Mets prospect who became a big star for the Rockies, didn't play that day. And I'm 23 years old, and it makes all the sense in the world once you understand baseball more that a veteran player in the middle of September after 150 games, a day game after a night game, Preston got the day off on a getaway day or whatever it would have been. Uh, but I felt uh, I had to get a question off for the manager, and I asked Clint Hurdle, you know, Preston Wilson back in New York, what, you know, any reason why he wasn't in the lineup today? And he nearly killed me. <laughs> he said, oh, is it okay if I give one of my guys a day off? Is that okay with you? <laughs> is that fine? And I'm like, hamana, hamana. And I slinked away. I mean, yeah. It's- but you know what? You got, the, you got the best quote and the most interesting moment of that press conference, I bet. I bet, I bet yeah. people were writing about that response. It wasn't even in the in the uh, like a press conference, it's just a, yeah. a kind of a gathering in the clubhouse, as I recall. <laughs> and speaking of which, my other big time um, clash with someone in professional sports, Michael Bennett. Oh, I know. It's not is like a question that I asked him after uh, the Seahawks blew Super Bowl forty nine against the Patriots, the Malcolm Butler game, and I asked Bennett, um, you know, just what the vibe right after that play went down on the on the sideline, and he made a derogatory comment about um, my manhood and then said something about my wife, my wife, the fugitive. And uh, 
I remember being completely stopped in my tracks that day as well. So Michael Bennett, who, yes, I, I've been reading everywhere that he is, you know, the agent of change we all need and what an incredible guy he was. But uh, I, I was never the biggest Michael Bennett fan after that. He retired, announced his retirement on uh, Tuesday after, yes, a very successful career for several teams. <laughs> Michael Bennett, great player. Uh, not such a great moment uh, for Bennett or myself uh, after Super Bowl Forty Nine. We we create we all contain multitudes and uh, yeah it, it, <laughs> Bennett Bennett that apparently was a bad moment and actually it, it's funny because I can think of some other moments after a loss you know where he he's a he was a competitive guy where he did not handle um, things well with reporters so that 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 happened to other times in his career. The, the interesting thing is that reporters love him in general, too. So that's what I mean about the right. multitude. There's like a lot of them had very good, re- great relationships with him, um, great conversations with him about football and beyond. And, and it really is a, an interesting career because I think I think the Seahawks dynasty, as great as they drafted or not dynasty, but their defense to me was like kind of a defensive dynasty that those four years they had that dominant. We haven't seen. I, I think it it really happened like the most important day was the two days they signed Bennett and Cliff Averill to like the cheapest, best value contracts in, in the last decade of free agency, two of them uh, back to back. And Bennett ended up kind of going from a guy who was up and down in Tampa, but, but pretty good, but was coming off a bad year, which is why, why he was so cheap. They got those two guys and that really made them special. And those two, they didn't get enough credit for it. And, um, Bennett Bennett's crazy because like he was the best player on their their defense for for parts of it, which is like he was the best player on one of the best defenses for parts of it. I'm not saying he had the best career, but like during stretches and certainly during some of those playoff runs, he was their best player. Well, I mean, that, and that he, Super Bowl forty nine loss. He had a great game. He right. had a tremendous game that day that nobody remembers anything about that game. But Malcolm Butler now. But uh, yeah, that, that was another big performance by him. I think he had they had those two players for under nine million combined, which is right. uh, incredible. I I thought and then they, they resigned him again because it's like and then you're coming off the cheap deal, so you don't even get full value the next time. It, it works like that where they got him cheap again. Sorry, it's to kind of guy. It was the kind of guy that I think anyone would want his career. I mean, he, he probably underrated uh, through long stretches of it too. Um, you know, blowing up guards. Uh, easy to easy to find him on the field because he's always moving around. An old school type player. I, you know, he, he had nine sacks in that final year with the Bucks before he went to Seattle. I mean, I, hmm. he, he stood out everywhere he went. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Dan, that you had the run-in with him that you did. Had you, maybe if you had asked him a similar question or a question at all after they decimated Peyton Manning and the Broncos, you would have fared better in your whole what viewpoint was the question? of the man. Do you remember? Uh, I, I couldn't remember the exact question. I mean, it wasn't like a Pulitzer Prize Award winning question. I think it was just kind of – asking him the, you know, what was the vibe on the sideline, like right after the play. And, and maybe that's a tough question to ask the guy shortly after the game, an hour after the game also. But I mean, listen, he was totally out of line with his response. Of course, of course. Uh, and, but at the same time, I, I really don't like wish ill will of him. And, and it is true that he's been, he's, uh, he's been a guy that has been a fun guy to cover in the league and also um, it can be a difference maker. Um, off the field now that he's a non-player it just you know that was it's also maybe a, a lesson in like the pitfalls of parachuting into coverage of teams if you're a <laughs> Seahawks beat writer you probably know how to approach a Michael Bennett after a tough situation if you know him mm. more I didn't know him from Adam and so I went and just found the guy that had a smaller scrum around him and try to get a nice quote uh, did not turn out to be a nice. What if, like, Clint Hurdle, like, jumped out from behind Michael Bennett and was like, yeah, another bad question. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been really weird. Uh, it is, it's it. interesting to think back to the 2016-17. Michael Bennett kept sitting during the national anthem throughout. It, it was interesting how Kaepernick, and I know Kaepernick was first, and so he, cut, he kind of bore the weight of everything. But it was interesting how the kneeling – which was in theory supposed to be like showing more respect ended up being like part of the story. No one ever cared that Michael Bennett did it throughout. Like he kept us sitting on the bench, but for whatever reason, like sitting on the bench didn't get, didn't get the the same like level of heat uh, that, that Kaepernick did. Hmm. Um, all right. So there you go. Happy trails to Michael Bennett. Maybe down the line, we're going to patch things up. He and I probably not.
Well, it'll That's probably be, be working at NFL Network in about three months. So you're going yeah, oh, sure. to have him on the show. Have him on the show. I'm sure he will. We'll, we'll, we'll work it all out. Um, that's what's happening in the news. The bell go deep. Anderson's out there. This is going to go the distance. 92 yards. Up next on the wheel of teams is the New York Jets, the J-Men. Last season, seven and nine head coach Adam Gase entering his second year. And the man who will help guide us through gangrene. And it's always a tricky road through gangrene. As a man who's been covering the team and around the team for years now. From the New York Daily News, Manish Mehta. What's up, Manish? Welcome to the Around the NFL podcast. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. You know, Manish, I I have to share. I think I've shared the story with you, but I want to share it with the audience now. The first time that we ever met. It was years ago. I think it was at Radio Row. And I was a fan of your work covering the Jets. And I wanted to introduce myself to you. And um, I saw you kind of across the room. And then I went up to you. And then you started following, at the time, the general manager of the Jets, Mike Tannenbaum. And you cornered Tannenbaum and then just teed off on him for giving <laughs> a he, – he had given a scoop to another beat reporter – uh, that you deserved, you thought you deserved because you were you had traveled down to the Super Bowl and this beat reporter had not traveled and you were on fire about it and that was the, the first time I ever saw Manish Mehta uh, and you were very nice when we spoke but my, Mike Tannenbaum looked like a guy that had been uh, that had seen too much in war by the end of the conversation. I think that was actually after Tannenbaum was fired and he had not spoken since uh, he was fired it. and then he spoke uh, to somebody else after that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think teeing off on him is probably an accurate description of how that went. <laughs> you were very, you were very considerate that here's the guy, you know, at a low right now. It just lost <laughs> his dream. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Mike and I have a really good relationship, so uh, you know, it's water under the bridge. But I was, yeah, I was a little bit upset at, at that that moment. So now the Jets, pretty funny. the Jets beats wild. I do remember like going to scouting combines, and this is like in the in the aughts like the mid to late aughts and uh the jets beat was a little different like there there's some sharp elbows on the jets beat there was a lot of infighting there was a lot of people within the beat that like weren't talking to each other and had had major beef and Manish, what i found out was manish was at the center of all of it. <laughs> greg i can honestly tell you like that was probably like 10 years ago uh, not much has changed, okay. to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, some of the you know surrounding cast members have changed. But, uh, yeah, it's a very cutthroat, competitive environment. Uh, it's probably the best way to describe it. And you're still standing all these years later, Manish. Let's, let's talk about the Jets a little bit. Um, you know, this is – well, let's start here. Let's start at the head coach spot because um, – one thing that I do like about you on the beat, Manish, is that you are not afraid uh, to polarize Jets fans, uh, deliver opinions that are polarizing. And when Adam Gase was hired as the head coach, you wrote a column that was glowing that said, relax, Jets fans. This is the guy you've been waiting for. He's not going to take any trash from anyone. He's going to guide this team back to prominence. I got the vibe by the end of the season, based on some of your writing and some of your tweets, that you kind of got off of the Gase bandwagon. Where do you stand on Gase? And, and do you think Gase deserved a second year after the way things started in 2019? Well, I think that Adam Gase, first and foremost, has a lot of good ideas. And obviously I didn't know him particularly well when the Jets hired him. But, uh, you know, speaking to people who have worked for him, played for him, uh, you will get uh, players and coaches and front office people that have been around him to tell you that uh, you know, he's not a dummy. So he, he has a lot of good ideas swimming around in his head. What I think I discounted or didn't give uh, you know enough importance to was his ability to lead and galvanize people, inspire people, 
and you really need that as a head coach. I don't think that he showed that uh, very much at all last year. Not the most inspiring character. He's not really a leader of men. Uh, he didn't show that this past year. So, you know, I, I marginalized that aspect of the job, I think, after the Jets hired him. And I realized, you know, talking to people in the organization and in the locker room throughout the course of the year, just how important that actually was and how he wasn't necessarily good at that part of the job. And then, obviously, the results speak for themselves. He was hired to bring the best out of Sam Darnold and to lift this offense. And by every objective measure, the offense was, at best, uh, the same as it was the prior season uh, or, you know, in, in all practical terms, probably worse than it was the year before by by virtually every statistical measure. Now, look, I, I've been extremely critical of Adam Gase. Everybody who follows the Jets is fully aware of that. I think if you just look at this objectively, he has been in the NFL for 17 seasons, six different organizations, 17 seasons. He's only been a part of a team with a winning record in four of those 17 seasons. And in three of those four seasons that he has been part of a winning team, Peyton Manning has been his quarterback. So only one time in his career, one time in 14 years, has he been a part of a winner. Now, he hasn't been the head coach, of course, in, in that 17-year period. He's only been uh, an assistant coach, a coordinator, head coach at different times. But he's not associated with winning. He's not associated with a winning culture. And uh, I think with that big of a sample size, that should tell you, uh, you know, a little bit about who Adam Gates might be as a head coach. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'll get to my Jets question in a second. My, one of the first times that I met you, Manish, was um, at the Combine and, you know, Rex Ryan was holding court back then. And I, we are, everyone on, in our podcast had just read Collision Low Crossers and we were slightly enamored with it. And I, I had one question of Rex Ryan, which was a hideously dumb question that wouldn't have even lead, led, lead to a news story. I asked him if he read the book and he looked at me, looked through me, basically, like he had no idea what I was talking about. And the, the news conference broke up and you turned to me and you're like, dude, he definitely did not read that fucking book. So I, <laughs> I was like, I just needed to ask Manish, you know, everything. So I, you know, and that's a million Jets coaches ago. And I, you've been through, through so many things. Sometimes I wonder why you don't just, uh, let's move to Kansas City and cover the Chiefs at this point. But uh, I, I have, well, he would. I, I know. When I look at Gase, though, I, and, and Joe Douglas, I think the one thing the Jets should not lose, no matter what happens this season, it, it, from, from what I see, is Joe Douglas. I think you've got a great talent evaluator there and um, a rising GM. Do, you, do Adam Gase and Joe Douglas, do they like each other? Can, can they get along? Yeah, I think uh... – do they like each other? They've known each other for a few years. They're not as close as what I think was portrayed when Joe Douglas was hired. They had worked together for one season in Chicago. The jury's still out on Joe Douglas. You know, you have to be fair to him. I don't want to say he's, you know, the next uh, superstar general manager. And I also don't want to say he's a flop because for all intents and purposes, he's really been on the job for only one year. He's been in charge of only one draft. He's made some changes this offseason. But we're not going to know if those are the right changes. We just know that, you know, he shuffled the deck. We, we don't really know if the pieces he brought in are going to be more effective than the pieces that they already had on board. What I can tell you about Joe Douglas is that, uh, you know, he has made one prior, you know, prior to this free agency, he had made one significant personnel move, and that was bringing in Ryan Khalil right before training camp began. You know, former Pro Bowl center who had retired. He brought him in, and that was a terrible decision in hindsight. That was a flop of a decision. So let's be fair. It's not like he has turned everything to gold. Uh, but, you know, you want to be fair in that you want to give him an opportunity to show everybody that the guys he drafted this offseason and some of the free agents that he brought in this offseason can actually help toward the greater goal of turning this franchise around. I don't know what Joe Douglas is. I know he came from – a couple good uh, organizations in Philadelphia and in Baltimore. That doesn't necessarily mean anything other than he was surrounded by some good people. Uh, whether he can succeed in the big chair is TBD. Well, and whether he gets a chance. I mean, one of the reasons we were, you know, I was critical um, of how that all went down, like a lot of people, was just, you know, wanting, and the Jets have been through this so many times, of ha having the coach and the GM aligned, and I, and I think – that that's an open question and we're going to, we're going to wrap up our conversation with Jets ownership and, and what's in the news today with, with Woody Johnson. 
um, which I think is going to hang over a, a lot, in, in, including Joe Douglas and Adam Gase. Because if if there's turmoil uh, in the coaching staff or in the front office or you know up to ownership, then that everyone's jobs suddenly become a, a little more precarious. And, and I think when I think of Gase, to, to go back to what we started, I think if Gase makes Sam Darnold better in 2020 or they work together really well and Sam Darnold plays well, then Gase is fine. Then, then like that's why Gase is there. And if not, then then the lack of the leadership that, that you talked about comes more into play. Then all the off-field stuff that I'm talking about in terms of turmoil comes into play because, hey, you don't have to be, you know, have a lot of rah-rah speeches if you're actually giving your players, like, schematic advantages. We just haven't seen that, certainly, in the year that Darnold had with Gase. I, I guess I'd ask you, watching them closely, like, how much of that do you put on Darnold? How much on Gase? And, and like, what are your your hopes for for that relationship looking better, you know, on the field this year? Well, Greg, look, I am a big believer in Sam Darnold. I don't think Sam Darnold's going to magically transform into Aaron Rodgers in 2020 or 2021, but he has the raw skill, the physical talent, and he has the mental makeup to be a difference-making player in this league, whether that means it will, uh, you know, manifest itself in 2020 or next year or the year after that. I don't know. He's an extremely young player. He's younger than Joe Burrow. So this is a very young player. who doesn't don't, you think have, Gase, don't you think he has to this year for Gase's sake, at least, to, just to bring it back to Gase a little bit? No, no, absolutely. I think if there's anybody on the quote-unquote hot seat when you're talking about the quarterback or the head coach, it's absolutely the head coach because, as you said, he was hired specifically to bring the best out of Darnold relatively quickly. And even though Darnold made some incremental improvement last year, it wasn't that significant jump that I think a lot of uh, Jet fans had hoped, uh, especially when you look at recent history, whether it was Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, even Mitchell Trubisky. uh, When they got that new head coach in that first year together, there was a significant progress. And you didn't see that with Darnold. I don't use the mononucleosis as as an excuse because the first game that Darnold came back after missing three games with Mono, he was the AFC Offensive Player of the Week in a win against the Cowboys. And so the last five fun. weeks might have been worse than the first five weeks, too, which I think gets lost a little. Yeah, I, I just think that with Darnold, you need to bring out consistency. He is an inconsistent player. He makes some incredibly great decisions and, and, and plays that uh, a much older player can make. And then at the same time, you know, he'll make a boneheaded mistake. It is incumbent upon not only him, of course, but the head coach, his tutor, his his teacher to, to bring out that consistency. And that's why it's such a pivotal year for Adam Gates, because, you know, I know we're going to talk about the ownership a little bit later, but Woody Johnson did not hire Adam Gates. He did not hire Joe Douglas either. Now he signed off on both of those guys, but this was predominantly a Christopher Johnson production. He's the one who hired Adam Gase. And for all intents and purposes, Adam Gase is the one who hired Joe Douglas. Christopher Johnson signed off on it. But uh, Woody Johnson has no ties to either guy. That being said, there is a financial component when it comes to Joe Douglas that can't be discounted. He signed a six-year contract. Hmm. I do not believe that ownership is going to be willing to eat three, four years of his contract. So I think if there's anybody who's on relatively firm footing for 2021, it's Joe Douglas not Adam Gase, because in theory, you get rid of Adam Gase if they're unsuccessful this season, and then you allow Joe Douglas to hire his own head coach. And then at that point, Joe Douglas and the new head coach are tied to the hip. Uh, And then, uh, you know, maybe two or three years down the road, if things don't work out, you move on. But I don't think that Joe Douglas is any kind of real jeopardy of losing his job this year. Uh, I cannot say the same for Adam Gase. I mean, counterpoint, Manish, you could always bring the glacier back into the building and reignite what was a magical period for the organization. Yeah, I I don't think that John Idzik is going to be the general manager for the Jets. I I don't actually think that John Idzik will get a second opportunity to be a general manager anywhere. Just checking. All right, Manish, you know I'm a Jets fan, so I'm going to paint the optimistic viewpoint for the upcoming season. Darnold does get better. The offensive line improves. Uh, Perryman's the real deal. Mims Mims gives you something. Herndon back in the picture at the tight end position. The offense is league average at worst. Let's put it league average. The defense, which people kind of slept on a little bit last year uh, with a lot of injuries, 
Uh, Greg Williams coached that team up. That was a great defense against the run. And with CJ Mosley back, I think it's only going to get better. You see some issues in the secondary, but I just, I, I trust Greg Williams to get this defense, continue keeping them in the right direction. If Darnold does make that leap, the offense does become respectable and the defense could be uh, hovering in that top 10 range. Why can't they be in the hunt for a playoff spot this year? Well, I think you've been to me. Well, well, Dan, if they had the same schedule as they did a year ago, in which they played the worst the tough schedule, football, right? This, I mean, yeah. this year they're playing the AFC West and the NFC West. It's a daunting schedule, not only for them, obviously, also for Buffalo and also for the Patriots as well. I think that schedule makes it very difficult for them to, you know, unless everything goes right for them to be a viable playoff contender. If they were playing a weak schedule, at least on paper, I think there's a possibility. Uh, all of that being said. Uh, if the offense is respectable and the defense you know, maintains what they did a year ago, maybe gets a little bit better and they finish you know, nine and seven, maybe eight and eight, somewhere in that neighborhood, then I guess that's, that's a, a, a check mark. Yeah, I, I guess that's a check mark. That being said, if that does happen, if they do finish eight and eight or nine and seven, they would miss the playoffs for 10 consecutive years. There's only two teams, Cleveland and Tampa, that has missed the postseason longer than the Jets. So, how much longer do you wait? I know this is not all on Adam Gase or Joe Douglas, but at the same time, at some point, if you're ownership, you do have to hold some of these key decision makers accountable. Well, they, they right. keep doing that, and they keep you keep getting fired. And that's I mean they they have the they have the second worst record in the NFL in the last five years. I mean they are one of the worst teams, and I and I do think that 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 there there is a case to be made of them winning eight or nine games, but there's also a case to be made. They're one of the two or three worst rosters, you know, just talent in terms of depth wise in the league. And so I, I think it will take Darnold and I think Darnold has a chance to do it. Just stepping up and carrying them. Speaking of ownership. So Woody Johnson bought the team uh, in 2000, 2016, Donald Trump was elected president. 2017, Woody Johnson takes over as the ambassador uh, to the UK in Trump's administration. Christopher Johnson, his brother, uh, becomes acting owner. And then the report comes out today. CNN reports that Jets owner Woody Johnson was investigated by the State Department for alleged racist and sexist remarks. There was also a report in The New York Times connected to Donald Trump uh, asking uh, Woody Johnson to try to push to get the British Open played on a Trump golf course and Woody went along with it and that led to some waves. So obviously some bad press and some disturbing allegations around Jets ownership. What are you hearing on this? Well, look, anytime you've got alleged racist and sexist remarks, uh, you know, that's not something that should be taken lightly. It's significant. Uh, you know, my understanding is that the Jets actually did an internal investigation back in 2017 uh, when there were some, some issues with Woody Johnson's social media posts that dealt with sexual conduct. The team actually scrubbed some of those posts uh, after doing their internal investigation with their IT department. Uh, it's not a good look. That, that's, you know, that's the preliminary part of it. We'll find out, obviously, more, uh, I think, in the coming days and weeks. The Jets, as of right now, haven't commented on the situation. The NFL is kind of just uh, said, you know, we're going to refer to what the State Department has said. So they didn't say much, uh, you know, either. Uh, it's disturbing. It, it's it's also eye-opening, I think, when your your best player, and in this case, Jamal Adams, comes out against uh, the owner and says, you know, right is right, wrong is wrong, this is unacceptable. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure, in fact, I know that he's not alone in his thinking. He's the only one, however, to this point, who has come out publicly and, uh, you know, voiced his displeasure at this report, I know that there are other players, other people in that organization who aren't particularly pleased with Woody Johnson. Uh, yes. you know, not a good look. Uh, I don't know what's ultimately going to become of this, but I do know that there were concerns in the organization uh, as far back as uh, you know, three years ago, in which they had to actually scrub some of his social media posts because they were probably not something that uh, you know the organization wanted out there. Well, this is, oh, is can, something the players can have their voice heard. And I, I think that's where I'm watching this story. And it shouldn't be on them, um, you know, to be making change on their own. That that shouldn't be their responsibility. But I, I think if their voices, if they do speak loudly and, and unified, like that, that's going to have a real impact as it should. And, and with everything that's gone on this summer, it'll be 
it's hard to know where this goes, but it, it'll be interesting to see how the NFL as a league responds to that. Cause ultimately it's their owner, you know, it's their team. Right. I completely agree. Uh, what I will say is that prior to all of this surfacing, I, uh, I was under the, the, the impression that Woody Johnson was coming back to the United States, regardless of what the election results uh, were going to be, whether mm. Donald Trump got reelected mm. uh, or not. If he, if he weren't reelected, obviously, uh, the new president would uh, appoint his own ambassador. But uh, you know, my understanding was that even if Donald Trump were reelected, that Woody would come back. Uh, you know, it wasn't set in stone necessarily, but that was you know, the, the vibe that I had gotten all along over the last several months. But the question now becomes, you know, when he ultimately does come back, what does the NFL do? Is, is there any kind of punishment? Uh, is it a slap on the wrist? Is it, you know, is it severe? Uh, but I think it is particularly eye-opening when players speak out because, uh, you know, I, I don't know if these allegations are true or not, but all I can say is that after reading the story, uh, the, both the racist and the sexist element of this story was particularly disturbing. And uh, I don't mean to make any kind of political statement because I don't think this is about politics, uh, but some of the stuff that was alleged in that story is, you know, Pretty disturbing, at least from where I stand. I mean, it does nothing to help the let's keep Jamal Adams in a Jets uniform for life <laughs> campaign that some are attempting to run. Yeah, that, that whole negotiation uh, has been a fiasco for a number of different reasons. It's it's really unfortunate. It's, it's strange, to be perfectly honest with you. This is an organization that doesn't get dynamic players very often. They don't have superstar players very often. In fact, I think it's fair to say that the last – homegrown superstar player that the Jets hired prior to Jamal Adams was Darrell Rivas. And that was nearly a decade ago. And the idea that the Jets have bungled this situation in the fashion that they have. And believe me when I tell you that they have, and I know that, you know, there's a lot of strong opinions on both sides, people, you know, siding with the organization, people siding with the player, but based on the information that I have uh, over what has transpired in, in the past six or seven months, it's a, uh, it's, it's incredible that the Jets would allow certain things to have gone on uh, in, in, you know, in these quote-unquote negotiations, which really weren't negotiations at all. Hmm. The fun ride never ends. I, I've said it many <laughs> times before to my uh, – no, Greg's like, I love it so much. No, I'm just uh, saying ride, this is I usually your time work. of year. This is your time of year for the optimism, but it's getting cut a little short right now. Uh, no, I still think this could be a fun season for the Jets. I, I do think, though, it does remind me that I'm just happy that I'm a Yankees fan because I couldn't deal with this. <laughs> if it was if I was the Jets, Mets, uh, Knicks, Islanders fan, I, I I needed to break that up. So shout out to, reason to, live, to the Matt Casey, our buddy. You just named his four favorite teams. There you go. <laughs> Manish, you've said it all. Hey, July 22nd, 2021. Jamal Adams, member of the Jets. I think, uh, uh, God, that's a, such a good question. I would say no. Okay. Well, we'll bring you back and we'll talk about how you were wrong. And no, Maybe I will be. Perfectly. Hey, I love covering Jamal. If, you know, I would love to cover Jamal for the next decade. He's one of the most genuine people I've covered in my career. And this notion that, uh, you know, he's a selfish guy who wants money. I can tell you, if you talk to players in that organization and coaches in that organization – they wish they, there could be 52 Jamal Adams. It would make for a loud locker room, but he is all about football. He cares about his teammates. Uh, nobody in that organization works harder, and nobody cares more about winning. I mean, he's tackling the Patriots mascot, please. Of course he's, <laughs> uh, he's important to the organization. So. Yeah, well, all right, I mean, Manish. Like, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty pathetic that it's gotten to this point with him. Manish Mehta, follow him on Twitter mm. uh, and read all of his uh, NFL coverage and Jets coverage on the Daily News. Thank you very much, bud. Thanks, You're guys. Well. I appreciate Thanks, you. Man. What a day to yeah. have him on. I mean, he had some uh, good insight on all the Jets issues, but the ownership, but certainly the Jamal stuff, uh, heavy hitter. Right. And Dan, you know, you mentioned a. You know, by the way, that doesn't mean I just that doesn't mean he's right, by the way. About I, what? I, I don't. We can't we can't sit and talk with Manish for three hours. I I continue to believe the Jets have been in the right in letting this play out a little bit and letting it breathe. And I believe you are in the same camp as well. I understand, uh, Greg. I understand that um, what where he's coming from, Manish. Though 
that the Jets aren't a team that come into game-changing superstars. Uh, so don't mess this up. Do not let him get out of the building over uh, a petty disagreement that turns into something bigger. I still have I, I still have hope that th- come this time next year he's under terms. Um, but you know it's it, with the Jets it's never it's it seems like it's never simple. It just never is. Well, I mean the Woody Johnson thing does not help. That is a fresh wrench in the works potentially. So. But- TBD. Yeah, his voice. So Manish, you know, Tracking. having the relationship, so it does, it does, it does carry weight with me. That like he knows, oh, he knows. Those, I know it does. He knows. It, it, I know it carries a lot I'm of weight. With you. He knows the negotiations. What do I know? I oh know. yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows. Well, that was the Pulitzer Prize uh, winning question that you mentioned. I think they, uh, they, they, they don't have, they don't get the benefit of doubt because they're losers, because they lose so much, and because I, they've, I you know, so they you don't get that. the benefit of doubt. That's it. I, I think that's why a lot, a lot of uh, people who study the game are doubting Sam Darnold on some level because they connect him to the Jets, a team where it usually doesn't work out for the quarterback. I just think every situation ultimately, though, should be judged separately um and i just hope eventually they they figure out how to get this organization running well uh it's it's very difficult and it it is when things like what popped up today now with christopher johnson it just it just never seems excuse me woody johnson it just never seems to end there always seems to be something new around the corner um so jets fans hang in there let's hope that uh darnold is the real deal because if he can play that will help a lot, uh, but as far He's as what's going off, off the field, he really is. I mean, I think it's I, – I, and I, I understand you can, why he's so interesting to me is like he's a Rorschach test where you, you can look at it from either perspective and see, oh, this guy is clearly showing signs that he's not going to be the guy. But then if you want to study other, way, other angles on Darnold, you can say, all right, there's something there in the second half of the season. Even when you look at the numbers, Greg, you mentioned his last five games were uh, – concerning but there were other numbers you looked at the last eight games of the season their offense was kind of middle of the pack and he had a top 10 um figures in some of his passing statistics um we'll get into it on friday's uh friday's atnfl broadcast we got a whole segment about darnold but he is interesting to me because he's the type of quarterback I, i usually fall for and i like more than i should um, despite some evidence. So I did go back. I'm writing about all these young quarterbacks at some point. I went back and, and watched and, and, and we'll talk about it Friday, but th- I think the thing with him is he's been, he's been making similar mistakes since he started. And they're kind of, they're, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, they're not ready for blitzes coming and, and that's coaching too. Like it's a lot of rookie stuff where like everything is going so fast and they don't know how to handle it. The problem is the coaching isn't, isn't leaving either. So it's like that, that like that needs to be, that needs to be buttoned up because he hasn't, he hasn't showed enough of like, what's going to make up for that. You know, he hasn't been as creative. Like he hasn't had as much um, creativity, making plays kind of on his own that you, that you would expect basically. That's, I mean, that I hear you, and I, I find him to be a mixture of, of an enigma, but also, as you say, fascinating. But he played behind a shattered offensive line. Right. And I mean, I, Mono is not, I, I know it became this like ridiculous sort of gag, and everyone made fun of it in the graphic that was on Monday Night Football. But look, I mean, Mono depletes the body, it takes muscle mass away, it leaves you uh, exhausted for weeks. And then he's suddenly thrown back into, a, an offense where Le'Veon Bell is not living up to the billing on any level, and you're getting destroyed behind a bottom five offensive line. I'd love to see Darnold in a more functional setting before we cast the die on the Oh, guy. of course. Of course. That's why I think he has top five upside and like a pretty big disappointment downside, which is like it, that's that's a huge, huge gap. I, I totally agree. I, I agree. I agree with you on that. And Jets fans believe in Darnold. I don't think any doubt has crept in with him. Gase is a whole other story. And Manish, I'm, I'm happy he came on the show, but Manish thrives on uh, that dissension and the doubt and the doom and gloom around the Jets. It sells papers. And uh, and you I mean, I just I guess my point of view is there is there are some rays of sunshine if you want to try to be the optimistic Jets fan, which isn't easy to do amidst all the clouds and the thunder clouds rolling in. I, I we'll see how it all turns out every year. I feel this way 
that this could be the year they get it back on track. But, you know, 2000 to 2010, under the Woody Johnson regime, they were one of the more competitive teams in the AFC. But the last 10 years has been a nightmare. I always All think the way about, around. I always think about the timing. It's, it's such a sliding doors moment when Leon Hess, their former owner, passed. Because if that didn't happen, Belichick would have been the, the Jets coach. And I, I don't know what Belichick would have done with with Leon Hess. And I guess I don't know that for sure. Who knows if the Parcells thing. Parcells so would much. have had to been. Yeah. Parcells but, is a big part but of it. Belichick's too. big thing was I'm not, you know, he was, he was close with Leon Hess and he, he's quoted as I'm not going to work for that guy, you know, and it would have, for whatever reason, whatever that the on ramping with the ownership change rubbed Belichick the wrong way. And then it's just like, that was a, it was just well, a forks in the road moment. Whereas he was, he was tight. Like the Parcells loved Hess, Belichick loved Hess. And it was just a different, it was a different thing. He learned that in Cleveland with Art Modell. He came out of there with a mantra that he would never coach as a head coach under an owner that he didn't, you know, completely trust and believe in. So that is a hideous, like, how, he was the Jets coach for what about uh, eight hours or eight minutes? Something like that. that. He resigned sure. as HC of the NYJ. And it should Q be known that during, that during that time of transition from the late Leon Hess, when the Jets were looking for new ownership, it came down to two people. Right. Woody Johnson <laughs> of the Johnson and Johnson family and James Dolan of Cablevision, who bought the Knicks and is arguably the most hated owner in the history of New York sports, maybe not even arguably. So, you know, just another chapter. All right. Good stuff. I still believe I say nine and seven. And I think Donald's got a pro bowl coming soon. Pro bowl doesn't matter. Whatever. You know what I mean? It's going to be good. We won't nine and seven's optimistic. Nine and seven might win the AFC East. Um, there were seven and nine last year. Might win it outright. I don't know if anyone's getting an. To yeah, I don't, I don't put too much seven. into it. Because the schedule was soft, but they went six and two in the second half of last year. All right, everyone's going to get mad. It's like, oh, you gave the Jets too much time. Calm down. Just oh. forty minutes. We're just having fun. All right, we'll be back on Friday on the network uh, with our uh, around the NFL broadcast. So please check that out. And I know not everyone has NFL Network, but there are workarounds out there. Go check out the Around the NFL subreddit if you want to watch the show. What we do try to do with the broadcast is we don't make it a facsimile of what the podcast is. We like to keep it fresh and and not just do uh, retreads of segments that we do on the Monday and Wednesday show. So it's a, it's a new show, original stuff. So check it out if you haven't already. And um, we'd appreciate it. And then we're back next week. At some point, we're going to be going back to three times a week on the audio show. So the the boys, we have to, and Ricky, we have to uh, put our heads together and figure out when we're switching over. I guess some of that's going to connect with what happens with training camps in the NFL, whether they're starting. Oh, there's uh, what, so much to think. out. What an offseason this was. I feel refreshed and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it. This is Dan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm. The mailman. Ooh, not the mailman. But we wish the mailman was here. And he will be here again. The old boss. Ricky Hollywood. Till Friday. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.